Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Well, two weeks ago, uh, I introduced this topic of salvation. Um, and uh, we it really stemmed from where we had been in the book of Acts. At the conclusion of chapter 2 in the book of Acts, we see this profound statement that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God was growing his church by saving people. And I think if we really throw around this terminology of what it means to be saved, uh, we can kind of grow guilty of not really thinking about what it means. We don't really stop to ask the question, what does it mean to be saved? And so we started uh, down this topic, down this sermon series of what does it mean to be saved? Terms like lost and saved hold tremendous weight, do they not? I fear that much of that is lost on the average believer, on the average, on the average Christian, uh, because we've grown up around it, right? We're, we've kind of just grown familiar with it. We say, hey, get saved, bro. Uh, <laughs> we talk about the lost and people that don't know Jesus in these terms, but we really don't, we don't really stop to think about what it actually means. In Luke 19.10, Jesus explicitly states his mission as this. And uh, he was eating dinner with Zacchaeus, right? He was this notorious sinner. People were in an uproar because Jesus was having dinner with this tax collector. But Jesus defines his mission as this. And he says that he came to seek and save the lost. And so this is not just language that, you know, we kind of came up with that, you know, churchianity kind of established. <laughs> These were the words of Jesus that he used to define his reason for coming. And if you go on in John 20, 21, we understand that if that was Jesus's mission, therefore it has to become our mission because Jesus himself tells his followers, tells his disciples, as the father has sent him, even so he's sending us. And so if the mission of Jesus was to seek and save the lost, we understand that there is a responsibility at the crux of the church to seek and save the lost. But really, we don't even know what salvation is for a lot of us. We would have a, a hard time defining it. Um, and so that's where a, a big kind of push in my spirit came for from us understanding exactly what salvation is, exactly what the gospel message is, and really trying to answer this question of uh, what it means to be saved. We think about salvation, and we, we immediately, our, our minds probably jump to saved, saved from what, right? And we begin to answer those questions last week. And we had this, uh, Romans 5 was kind of a crux text for us, and it's going to be over the next couple of weeks as we kind of continue to go down this road. Um, but I try to lay a foundation of exactly what it is that God saves us from, what he saves us by, and what he saves us for. And uh, I think we see that in Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. I'm going to read this. It says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for the good person someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I outlined uh, two weeks ago that very plainly when we look at this text, we see kind of this crazy thing kind of unfold. And it's the fact that we are saved by God, for God, from God. Right? That's not always the way that we think about salvation. It's not always the way that we kind of wrap it up, but it, it kind of it kind of really gets the wheels turning and the brain thinking and is like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But if we look at this passage of scripture, we see that we're saved by God, right? Just here in these few verses, we see that we're justified by his blood. We're reconciled through his death and we're saved by his life. It's, it's, it's solely on what Jesus did for us. We're saved by God himself. And we're saved for God, we're saved for Him, that we might have reconciliation, that we might have relationship with God once again. It's for His glory and His purpose that He saves us. And I know that Adam kind of uh, delved deeper on that topic last week in talking about the compassion of the Lord and the glory of God. And, and we see that, and it's awesome. And we go on here in verse 9, it very clearly tells us that we're saved from the wrath of God. Woo, that preach is nice. That's easy. That's fun. That's palatable, right? Let's put that on our bumper stickers and our business cards and our church marketing campaign, right? Because <laughs> everybody loves talking about the wrath of God. Like, sounds like some metal band or something like that. But it's intense and it's serious. And we see that God's righteous judgment does exist. You see, I asked a plethora of people the question of what does it mean to be saved? And they all kind of gave me some, some answer with elements of Jesus and some elements of sin and some elements of death and, and you know, John 3.16, all, all good. Um, but only, uh, but overwhelmingly, I didn't have anybody outside of one person who was a pastor, who was Adam, that <laughs> responded in this way, in the way that I'm preaching. So he kind of broke my streak, so I couldn't say that nobody responded this way. But the majority of the people that I had conversation with uh, had different answers for what God saved them from. It was either whether it would be God saved me from sin or God saved me from hell or God saved me from the devil. God saved me from myself. But uh, with the exception of Adam, uh, nobody answered God saves me from him. <laughs> and that's kind of crazy to think about. And so while it's very much true, and I'm going to kind of lay a framework over the next couple of weeks to help us better understand that statement as we look at the righteousness and justice of God and seeing how he is still perfectly good. 
in the fact that we are saved from his wrath, I want to be clear that the other things are not negated. Just because we had one principal truth that we were arriving at and that God does save us from his wrath, the reality of it is he still saves us from sin, right? He still saves us from the consequence of sin. He still saves us from hell. He still saves us from the devil. He still delivers us. That's another word for saving from these things. And there's scriptural, biblical precedent for it. And so, uh, while one is very much true, and I believe it overarchs the entirety of everything else we're talking about, um, I think it's very important that we break down these other things. Um, And so, while only one person talked about the wrath of God, and I think it might come... um, I looked it up and I was trying to uh, kind of find an easier way to phrase this. And I, I think it's Dick Brogdon. And I think I've heard uh, Adam quote this guy. He's the, if you guys remember, uh, Adam preached a few months ago. There was, uh, he shared the gospel story of the chicken thief in Africa. It's really powerful. And I could not, uh, I would do a poor retelling of it if I tried to tell it right now. And so. Wow, I just put that out there. But the way that the guy, the way that uh, this gentleman, he's a missionary, he defines it as this. It's that it's God's love that saves us from God's wrath for God's joy. And I thought that that was so just awesome. (laughs) And that's the end game, right? That's what salvation means for us is ultimately that God loves us and saves us from his ultimate wrath for his ultimate pleasure. But what does that mean for the here and now? What does that mean and how does that change my life today? You see, I think that Jesus still saves. He delivers from sin and its powers, from a real enemy, the devil as well. And this all plays into the ultimate salvation of our souls in escaping the wrath of God for all of eternity. And uh, if we were to break this down, I want to talk about, for the next three weeks, three particular things that kind of were continual answers that came up when I was asking this question. And uh, I believe that God saves us from sin, very plainly and very simply. And that is true, and we see it in the scripture. He saves us from the devil, (laughs) And he saves us from hell. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about sin, the devil, and hell. Talk about a marketing strategy leading up until like your Easter bunny celebration with an egg hunt, right? Woo, put that on a banner and let's talk about it. I understand that this is kind of a, you know, it's it's not the sexy thing that you try to package and get people to pack into a church with. In fact, a lot of modern churches don't even believe in these things anymore. You know, we want to highlight the, the, the good, happy aspects of God and how he can make your life better in these things. And we, we neglect to talk about sin. We neglect to believe that we even have a real enemy. And we kind of just chalk the devil up to uh, just some kind of uh, evil force in the world that just is not really personified and not really an enemy and not really a person um, and not, doesn't really exist. It's all just kind of in our head. And uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of modern Christianity, 
uh, neglects to talk about what Jesus said about hell as a real place. And I realize there's a lot of questions because I've had these conversations with people in our church over the last number of weeks and over the last, the last few months of, of people that I am shocked to believe that they don't believe in a real devil. We don't believe in a real, real hell that Jesus talked about. So I feel like it's important for us to have a, a healthy foundation of talking about sin, of talking about the devil and talking about hell and seeing what Jesus and the scriptures have to say about it to formulate our foundation of salvation and what it means to be saved. Because really, if these things aren't that big of a deal and if these things aren't real, then what is salvation? <laughs> like what, what do we actually have to be saved from? And so this morning, I want to talk to us about sin. Is that okay? <laughs> We're going to talk about sin and exactly what it is. And the, the simplest definition of sin is this. It's transgression against God's perfect law. It's rebellion against the Lord. Uh, I wrote this down, that it's any thought, action, or attitude that falls short of God's holiness. It's what we would see Romans 3.23 define when it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now we could talk about how it means missing the mark, but uh, how many of you guys know that sin is uh, something that exists? <laughs> uh, it is something that breaks the heart of God, and uh, it's something that we're all well too familiar with. You see, but sin's not that big of a deal for most people right? Most of the people that I have conversation with, uh, you know, it's just sin. It is what it is. You know, we talk about breaking God's commandments. You could talk about the Ten Commandments. You could look at the things God said not to do that people do willingly or the things that God said to do that people don't do uh, reluctantly. And, and, and we look at this, and I think there's this kind of universal um, connection amongst mankind where we've all sinned, <laughs> and we've all experienced it, we've all, we've all broken God's law, and so it connects us on the similar playing field, so we begin to rationalize it. We begin to justify it, and uh, we, we, we have conversations, especially within Christianity, of, I've had, I've been speaking words, English is the language of choice here this morning. <laughs> I've had conversations with people who are living in habitual sin, in transgression against the Lord, and they justify it by saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not perfect, I'm just saved, I'm only human, right? And we say, well, you're human, so you get a free pass, you get an excuse, but I remember uh, reading Leonard Ravenhill's books, and he would respond to that sentiment that you're only human, and he would say, what do you mean you're only human? You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. You're no longer only human. So the excuse that you're just human falls out the window. <laughs> but I think it is a great travesty in culture today and in churches today where we think too little of sin, where sin just isn't that big of a deal, right? Breaking God's law, breaking God's heart, it's just not, it's not the cool thing to talk about. Charles Spurgeon would be quoted as this. He would say this, 
Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of their Savior. But he goes on and says, I, I quote that all the time, but he goes on and he says this, He who has stood before his God, convicted and condemned, with a rope about his neck, is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. Friends, I think it's dangerous for us to think too lightly of sin, to think too lightly of the things that Jesus went to the cross for, that he died to set us free from. You see, an insufficient estimation of sin means that we do not uh, need the radical solution of the cross. When we, think, when we think of sin as being no big deal, we we make the cross of Jesus and the price that he paid of insignificance. You see, there's no need for the gospel if people are not desperately, hopelessly alienated from God because of sin. This is why sin is such a big deal. Because the, the breaking of God's law separated us from his perfect heart. And that's why God goes to such extremes in sending his son to bring reconciliation between God and man, because to him, it's a very big deal. But as we talk about this, and we talk about Jesus setting us free from sin, and we talk about uh, Jesus saving us from sin, we're not just talking about the consequences of sin or the ultimate consequence of sin. I believe Jesus saves us from sin and the power, of its, uh, the power of sin and the entanglement of sin here and now in our everyday life. Matthew 1.21, this is uh, when the angel uh, comes to uh, Joseph in a dream and is telling, uh, telling about Jesus who would to come. It says, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This was the promise of the Messiah. This was the promise of Jesus who would come, that he would save us from our sins. And I love Romans chapter 6. In fact, um, I, I'm going to read through the entirety of Romans chapter 6 because it introduces this idea that we can be set free from the power of sin and its clutches in our life here and now. And uh, Paul would talk about this as dying to sin. And uh, he, would, he would express it as uh, through the salvation of Jesus that Christians have died to sin, that we should no longer live in it. Um, and if you read Ephesians chapter 2, he defined it as at one point in time we were dead in sin. We were dead in our trespasses, dead in our trespasses but now... Uh, in Romans 6, we'll see that he calls us to be dead to sin, no longer dead in it. In Romans 6, beginning in verse 1, and we'll put the verses up here on the screen. Uh, I think it would uh, be an injustice if I tried to just stop and highlight each little segment. So I'm going to read through this big chunk of scripture. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. 
Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with him in his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died uh, with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. For you were dead, but you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, but you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from the slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using this illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a lot in there. We could spend a long time unpacking all of this, but I, I want to highlight just a, just a few things here because it continues to say that we have died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? Sin might lose its power in our lives, um, so we are no longer slaves to sin, that we're set free from the power of sin. So we should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Paul would go on in verse 12 to tell us, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. 
And instead, in verse 14, it says that you live under the freedom of God's grace. What is the, what is the crux of what Paul is getting at here? He's saying that if you are been made alive in Christ, then you have to die to sin. <laughs> He's saying that if you have said yes to Jesus, your life is going to look radically different. That we cannot go on continuing in the same patterns of sin as if we did not receive Jesus in the first place. I don't know, I don't know if you, you know this, but there, there, there are a lot of people in the world right now that we would consider nominal Christians. That means that they might check it on the census. They might agree, uh, maybe in fundamental truth, that yeah, cool, Jesus is the Messiah, but they have not submitted to him as both Savior and Lord. Can I tell you right now, friends, you can believe that Jesus died for your soul and still not make him Lord of your life. And it's imperative that we view Jesus as both Savior and Lord. And in doing so, our lives will be surrendered to him where we will cease continuing in a lifestyle of sin. Paul is saying here that God's grace is not license for us to do what we want when we want it. His grace is actually extended to us so that we can do what he wants when he wants it. Grace is the empowerment to live holy, not the permission to continue to sin and do what you want to do. we go on, it's very simple, and I, I want to be careful that I don't try to op- overly simplify it, but if we read in verse John 3, there's a, there's a good chunk of scripture here that, that just lays some things out for us. It says in verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. It's talking about Jesus. And in him, in Jesus, is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how serious the Lord takes this aspect of sin. And what a great travesty the church at large in our current era uh, has committed in the fact that we make sin not that big of a deal. We really want you to say a prayer. We really want you to sign a check and put it in the offering. We really want you to show up to our stuff and find a seat here. But we really don't want to talk about your sin. 
We really don't want to talk about the things that break God's heart. We really don't want to talk about the things that exist in your life that God died on a cross so they could change. Right? Because we like our sin. It's comfortable. It's things that we like. It's things that we want to do. (laughs) But it's the very things that nailed Jesus to a cross. And it says here that if we go on sinning, that we have no part with God. I want us to be very clear because we need to understand what this passage of Scripture means and what it doesn't mean when it says, does not sin. Um, we, we We know this passage of Scripture, we're talking about habitual lifestyle of continuing in sin. This is not the, oh, I got frustrated and, you know, that guy cut me off and I really wanted to give him the finger moment of anger kind of a deal. Um, it, that can be habitual. That can be something that God wants to change, uh, obviously. There's all these aspects of our life. But um, I want to be clear because the same author that wrote this uh, just uh, two pages over, or depending on how your Bible flips, it could just be a page, uh, in 1 John 1.8 tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so we understand that uh, as human beings, we do sin, right? I mean, this is not just here to like bring this heavy hand of condemnation over all of us, that there is sin that we struggle with. But what the author, what John is talking about here and what Paul was talking about back in Romans is this deliberate, continual, habitual life of sin where we know something is wrong, where God has laid it upon our heart for it to change, and we neglect to give in to the Holy Spirit because we feel like we have the license to do it because God is gracious and merciful, and he's not going to care in the end. And that's dangerous thinking, my friends. You see, Uh, The grammar here, even in the original language, is indicative of a settled, continued lifestyle of sin. He's not talking about sinless perfection that you said yes to Jesus. You're never going to make a mistake again. But he's talking about the deliberate saying yes to the carnal nature, to what the flesh wants, to what we want as humans rather than what the Lord expects and wants for us. You see, I'm sharing all this because we talked about how God saved us from his wrath and the kind of the culmination of what sin brings, which is judgment. I believe that salvation and what we've been saved for from is more than just that. We're more, we've been saved more than just from God's wrath and escaping hell. Uh, we're saved from a life of sin here and now. Jesus came as the deliverer and he promises to give us something to live victorious over this entanglement, over these continued habitual uh, uh, lifestyles that we live where he wants to see us set free from the power of sin that's held in our lives here and now. And I believe a lot of us probably need to experience that. If I'm, if I'm being honest, I, I, don't, I don't know about you. I don't know each and everybody's kind of dirty laundry or, or, or what's going on personally. But there are things in my life that I know that as I've grown closer to Jesus, he wants to deal with and he wants to change. And I want you to know whatever struggle you might have 
I mean, it could be with your thoughts. It could be with your attitude. It could be with your anger. You could have an addiction. Um, God, I believe, in Jesus Christ, can set you free from that. And you no longer have to be a slave to sin, but rather you can be a slave to righteousness. And my prayer this morning is that you would encounter the power of Jesus and his heart and his grace to see you live victorious over sin. I think it's interesting here in 1 John where we, we see kind of this, this introduction. And initially, friends, I had, I had this uh, message in uh, three different points, and I have a confession to make. I may never preach a three-point message. I have tried. I had my three points. My three points were going to be talking about how God sets us free from sin, how he delivers us from sin, how he delivers us from a real enemy who is the devil who wants to kill us, <laughs> and how he sets us free from hell, how he saves us from his wrath, and what that actually means. But I, as I started digging into this, I would be talking for a really long time time. <laughs> and I, I just don't feel comfortable jumping from one thing to the next. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to jump into this. We're going to talk about sin, but the reality of it is uh, there is a real enemy and there is a real consequence for sin as well. That does kind of culminate in what we see in God's wrath that he ultimately saves us from. But Jesus has a lot to say about this stuff. So we're going to talk about it. And I think it's important. But if you had to ask me why sin is such a big deal, I think of this. I have a friend. His name's Jeremy. He's a pastor in Arkansas. Um, and his wife this week uh, passed away from cancer. He has two little, two little boys. Uh, one little boy and one little girl. I'm sorry. Uh, four and seven years old, that lost their mom. And uh, I, I'm not trying to paint this like picture. You, you can imagine that's terrible. <laughs> it's absolutely gut-wrenching to lose the, the person that you love the most, right? And uh, I, I can't pretend like I know what Jeremy's going through. You know, I've seen his Facebook posts and, you know, I've just reached out letting him know that I'm praying for him. But I can't, I can't really imagine what's, what he's walking through. But as I was doing so, the, as, I, as I was just thinking about him, the Lord just stirred my heart and he, he asked me, why do, you, why do you think I hate sin so much? Why do you think it's such a big deal for me? Why do you think I sent my son to die on a cross to take care of it? Uh, you know, I, I was just asking the Lord, well, why? He's like, in the same way that people that have lost a loved one to cancer how much they hate that cancer. <laughs> and I'm sure you guys have seen the, the bumper stickers that, that, that go around town. They have an expletive on it, and it says, you know, what, cancer? Um, <laughs> and people hate it, right? Because it's robbed so many precious memories. It's robbed loved ones from us. And there's, there, there's a reason for that. Well, sin robbed relationship between the one that he cherished most in humankind, in mankind, from himself. And he can do something about it. And that's why he sent his son. But yet so many of us have, have seen what sin has done 
and how it broke God's heart and how it separated us from him. And the fact that God sent his son to make it right and to pay a price so that we could have restoration with him and that we could, we could be reconciled to him and have relationship once again. I can't imagine how much more heartbreaking that has to be the, to the Lord when we willingly choose to continue in the same things that he sent his son already to die for. It's what the author of Hebrews would talk about in Hebrews chapter 10. How can we go on? Uh, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins if we go on sinning willfully, right? Because we're trampling underfoot the Son of God. It's crazy things to think about. It breaks God's heart, but I want us as a church, I want us as a people to not take sin as some little thing that can just be excused. And we chalk it up to mistakes and character flaws and, and those kind of, that kind of language. You know, your, your habitual lying is not a character flaw, it's sin. You need to, somebody needs to know that. Your addiction is not just you being human and you struggling, it's sin. Your, 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 your pornography addiction is not just, oh, I'm just a young man. It's sin. Somebody, you, you have to understand, this breaks the heart of God, and he has paid a price, and there is hope this morning for you to be set free from that. I, I just want to close with this, and then we're going to pray. But I, I've been reading a lot of Charles Spurgeon lately, and uh, I've already quoted him once in, uh, in his little devotional, his morning and evening devotional. He wrote this, and he says, You may look and study and weigh, but Jesus is a greater Savior than you think him to be when your thoughts are at the greatest. <laughs> My Lord is more ready to pardon than you to sin, more able to forgive than you to, to, than you to transgress. And I want you to know this morning, the motivation of God is not just to make a bunch of holier-than-thou people. <laughs> He's not just trying to get you to be perfect and jump through a series of tests. You're not going to be able to do it. But I believe that the promise of the Holy Spirit is that He would come alongside, that He would equip, that He would enable, and that He would empower you to live holy today. I don't see Jesus ever issuing or giving us a command, friends, that he didn't fully intend to equip us to succeed in. When he tells us to be perfect like I am perfect, to be holy like I am holy, he didn't just say that so we had some kind of impossible standard that we would never be able to meet. He didn't tell us to live free from sin and to cast our cares upon him just because he was some kind of sick, twisted master that, that knew we were never going to be able to measure up. But he promises to give the Holy Spirit as a helper. And whatever you're struggling with today, I believe he wants to come alongside and he wants to show you through it. And that's what my simple prayer is for us as a congregation today is. 
that we wouldn't make excuses for our sin, but we would stare it head on, that we would begin to confess it, that we might find freedom from it, and that Jesus might minister and move and we could conquer it rather than it let it, let it just be this continued nagging thing in our life. Thank you for listening so to this week's message. So what I'm going to do this morning, friends, If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.